The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Please, Jesus, please pray for me. O Lord, would you ask the Father that he would send the Holy Spirit? Lord, we're in such trouble in the church, such trouble in America. Evil has risen up on every hand. Things of righteousness have been cast down. Families are torn asunder. Every wicked thing seems to be given a place of prominence and stature in our news media, in our entertainment industry. Oh, Lord, We need your Holy Spirit. And I come today pleading, Jesus, would you pray, as the Scripture said, you would pray for us. And you would ask the Father to send us the Holy Spirit. I'm praying. I'm asking, Jesus, that you would pray for me and pray for every person listening to this broadcast today. Would you turn our hearts toward you, Jesus? Would you intercede for us with the Father? You said that if you prayed for the Holy Spirit, he would give us the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, our land is filled with beautiful churches, with great preachers. On every street corner, magnificent monuments are being built. Millions of dollars being spent. And yet our nation is drowning in its wickedness and in its sin. Lord, please come and pray for your church. Wake us up, Jesus. Please wake us up. Separate the the wheat and the tares. Lord, come. I cry out to you today, Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on your church. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. This is the last day of the month, and so you would expect me to do an offertory. I'm not going to. There are other issues that are so much heavier on my heart that I need to talk with you about. We are short this month from being able to pay Wave $1,500. Would you make a pledge to Jesus today, right now, and would you just mail that check, or would you go online and give it at nationalprayerchapel.com? That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And thank you to the many who've already given. Our goal this month is again pushing $4,000. So please, would you just go online and would you give? And that way I'll be able to teach this week. There are things of such vital import for you and for me and for the church. I'm going to talk with you about the Holy Spirit. I'm shy of addressing this issue in the way I must because it will, without doubt, make some of you very uncomfortable. And I'm asking you now, would you be willing to suspend your judgment until we have looked at the Scriptures? My father was one who believed that the miracles of today were not for today. He was born in 1901. He saw a lot of foolishness. And frankly, there is so much foolishness associated with many who have claimed to walk in the Spirit that it's been obvious with the barking of dogs I've been to some of these so-called revivals. There was nothing about them that was of the Holy Spirit. Jerking, looking and acting like they had Tarot syndrome, claiming they have the Holy Spirit because their head is spinning and and their body's jerking. It's utter foolishness, claiming that they have gold teeth that gold is raining down from the sky. This is not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit. It's another demon spirit. 
but we need to look at who is the Holy Spirit and what is his job and what did Jesus say about it. See, every man, every woman goes where his love carries him. If you love the things of darkness and you love spirituality, a demon is happy to step in and help give you that spiritual experience. But it will not make you righteous. It will not wash you in the blood of Jesus. If the world has your love, you'll spend your life for it. But if truth has your love, if Jesus has your love, you will go wherever he carries you. If your love is not sincere for Jesus, that false love for the world will leave you at the prison door, and you will be sorely disappointed. I don't want that to happen to you or to the church, and I see it happening to the church in America. It has been utterly deceived. We're going to address these issues this week. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all opened their books talking about John the Baptist as he came proclaiming baptism and repentance of sin and that Jesus would come, the Son of God, the Lamb of God would come who would take away the sin of the world, not just the Jews, but of the world. He taught that Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. We need to understand what that means. Because I don't know of anyone today in my world, in Washington, D.C., who is truly baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, many of us have been touched and even speak in tongues, foreign language. But we have not had the Holy Spirit come and take up residence and dwell in us. So let me begin in Luke, the third chapter. Luke, the third chapter. This is written in the book of Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways become smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. This was the description of the work of John the Baptist. Now, John said to the crowds that were coming to him, he was the first prophet in 400 years. His clothing was made of camel hair, not camel skin, but camel hair. He was dressed roughly, like the Old Testament Elijah or Elisha. And the crowds came out to him. He had the anointing presence of the Holy Spirit in his words. 
John sees these crowds coming to him and he responds in a way that does not fit with the modern mindset. He says, you brood of vipers, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I went with a friend for breakfast down in Arlington just recently. And a young woman who was our waitress, 29 years old, a beautiful young woman. We could smell the alcohol on her breath. She was a little tired. My friend engaged her in some conversation. And she said, I need Jesus. I said to her, my friend said, this is Pastor Ray. He can tell you how to find Jesus. I said, if you want Jesus, the first step is you must repent. And her answer was very telling. Yes, I know I need to repent, but not now. She's living the party life. She didn't want to talk about it anymore. Now, I'll tell you what broke my heart is that I was not like Jesus sitting at the well filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this dear young woman went her way. And as I was leaving, I won't be able to be with you tomorrow because I have to work. My heart broke. My heart broke. He said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's be clear about what he's saying. He's saying that there is an axe already to swing at the root of your life. And that if you do not repent and turn away from the wickedness that you have been engaging in, the worldliness that you have been pursuing, the things that you have loved that are of the world, of the flesh, of the devil, then the axe is at the root of your life and your life will be forfeit. Now when, I don't know, but it will be forfeit. The crowds are convicted. They want to know what we should do. And John begins to give them very practical direction. A man with two tunics should share with him that has none. The one who has food should do the same. Share your food. He goes on. Now the people are waiting expectantly and, and they're wondering in their minds... Is it possible that this man, John, is the Christ, the Messiah? 
And in verse 16, this is Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John begins to give them the answer. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So a day of judgment is coming. So people are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be baptized in fire. If they have not repented, they will be consumed. If you have not turned back to Jesus, you will be consumed. That's what he's saying. Jesus is coming to bring the Holy Spirit. And he's going to baptize men and women in the Holy Spirit. Or should I say, into the Holy Spirit. Now turn with me to the book of John, and this is now where we're going to spend our time. We have now come in the book of John to the closing of his ministry. Now up to this point, he has not baptized one person in the Holy Spirit, into the Holy Spirit. Remember the woman at the well? She was not baptized into the Holy Spirit. She was promised that there was water that she could drink that would well up in her belly to rivers of water that she would never thirst again. This did not happen for her. She did not receive at that time. It was going to be some time before Jesus was going to go to the Father and be glorified when he would bring the Holy Spirit and send him to us. Now we come to the 13th chapter of the book of John, and Jesus begins a flowing dialogue with his disciples about what's happening and about the future. Now, there is much tension among the disciples. He is to sit down with them and have the Passover meal. Some translations say that the dinner was finished. Some indicate it may be in the midst of the dinner, but Jesus stood up, took off his outer garment, because those who were designated to prepare for this meal had somehow neglected to bring a servant to wash their feet. And none of the disciples were going to volunteer to be that servant and wash everyone's feet. Everyone wanted the place of prominence and honor. So Jesus stood up and took off his outer garment. The tension is so thick they can cut it with a knife. Jesus takes a towel puts it round his waist, pours a basin of water, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Then he 
and he dries their feet. He comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall not, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless Jesus washes you, all of your claim to be a Christian will be utter foolishness. In the end, you will have been attending a church as a social gathering, as entertainment, as inspiration, as business opportunity. But if you were not washed and your sins washed away, you will have no part with him when he comes in the judgment. So Simon Peter says, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a bath. Wash me all over. I want to part with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. So what Jesus is doing here is not just physical. It's also talking about washing the heart. Washing the spirit of a man. And he's recognizing that the one who is going to betray him, he washed his feet too. Now, I want to draw our attention to this for just a moment. Jesus constantly reaches out his hand to even those who are rebellious. He reaches out a hand of mercy and invitation to even to even Judas. Judas had already made up his mind. It was in his heart that he would betray Jesus. He was angry with Jesus because Jesus would not do the ministry the way he thought it should be done. And he saw that they were not on course to kick the Romans out. And he'd spent three years walking with this Jesus. Oh, he'd seen the miracles. He'd seen all of that. But he wanted political power. He wanted recognition. He wanted a new government established. And he saw that Jesus was not going to do that. And so he wanted to force Jesus. To force his hand. Jesus knew who Judas was. He knew what was in his heart. But Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your father and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, Jesus Jesus knows what his disciples are feeling. Jesus has already told them that he's leaving, that he's not going to stay. 
Chapter 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew he was leaving. And so he showed them incredible love and kindness and mercy. I can say this out of my own dreadful experiences. When someone you dearly love, when you've poured out your heart for them, you've poured out your love, you've, you've spent incredible amounts of money, and they walk away, they leave. The bottom drops out of your world. Great sadness comes into your heart. A feeling of, of desolation, of loneliness, of hurt, of tears. Jesus knows that the disciples are walking straight into that experience. He knows that their hearts are going to be utterly crushed and broken. He knows he's leaving. And so he pours out his love for them. And he says, now do this for each other. In other words, don't scatter. Come together, love each other. Don't turn your backs on what you've been through for the last three years. Don't walk away. Instead, humble your heart. Serve one another. Be kind to one another. Express concern. Don't become bitter and angry and hard-edged. Be kind. He knew that love would carry his disciples through, and so he poured out his love. But then there's one of the most important verses in John, the 13th chapter. It's found in verse 20. John 13, verse 20, I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Well, what's he talking about? He's saying, anyone who accepts the one I send. Well, who was he going to send? He was going to send the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, will we accept the Holy Spirit? He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. If you don't accept the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you don't accept me. Now, I'm going to walk through very carefully and slowly these scriptures because a picture is going to begin to emerge for you recognizing that if you reject the Holy Spirit, you have rejected Jesus. If you reject the Holy Spirit... You have rejected Jesus. Now, I have to make a confession. I was raised in a family where there was a strong belief in the Holy Spirit. But he was usually spoken of as an it, as a power, as an influence. 
I did not grow up thinking of the Holy Spirit as a person. Now, part of what has happened in that belief is that I saw the Holy Spirit as a wonderful, pleasant add-on to an already full life with Jesus. Now, the problem with that is Jesus said in John 15, and we'll go there in a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself just a bit. He said, you can do nothing without me. And yet, where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's on the throne. So if he's there in his heavenly body, how can he be with us? And he said, without me, you can do nothing. And I spoke with a wonderful Christian brother this last week, and I asked him, how do you understand this passage, you can do nothing without me? I said, it seems to me that you're able to run your business. You're able to marry and have a child, and he has. You're able to pay the the rent, the mortgage. You're able to pay the car payment. You're able to have some pleasant times at Starbucks. You're, you're able to have a pleasant time out at dinner with friends. You're able to be successful. So what do you need Jesus for? Well, he gave me an answer. I'll share it with you. His answer was, I need Jesus to help me improve and be a better person, a more successful person. His answer shocked me. I don't want Jesus to be with me so he can make me a success. I want Jesus because I love him. And he's commissioned me to go into the world and to proclaim his gospel, to be in his kingdom. And yet I've been spectacularly unsuccessful in that endeavor. You say, oh, pastor, you've, you've pastored many churches and you've preached and you've taught. Yes, I have done all of that. I've been faithful. I have walked this journey as faithfully as I know how to walk it. I have sacrificed my time, my money, everything I possess I have laid on the line for Jesus. But the Holy Spirit has not come and dwelt in me and I in him. And so Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Well, do you begin to get a connection here? That the only way Jesus can be with us today is via the Holy Spirit. If you are not in the Holy Spirit, you cannot be in Jesus which means that if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're under the influencing power of the Holy Spirit, and he strives with you 
he corrects, rebukes, and even, as one friend said, like a blind squirrel, as you pray once in a while, you'll find a nut. But you don't know what to pray for or how to pray because you're not in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm talking about something way beyond what we've ever experienced in America. It is time to take seriously what Jesus has said about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Father has given us two gifts. He gave us Jesus, and he then gives us the Holy Spirit. These are the two most precious gifts given to the human race. Most of us have been content with the first gift. But Jesus said, you can't do anything without me. And he's not here. Except in the Holy Spirit. I'll show you that in a moment. I tell you the truth, John 13, verse 19, verse 20, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. If you accept the Holy Spirit, you accept Jesus. If you do not accept the Holy Spirit, you do not accept Jesus. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. You do not accept the Father if you do not accept the Holy Spirit because he's the only one who can be like Jesus for your heart. You have Judas then in the 13th chapter. Jesus again holds out his hand in mercy and compassion to Judas and the disciples ask him who is it that will betray it was John leaning against his chest he said the one I give this bread to so he dipped it in the food dish they didn't eat with knives forks and spoons they ate with bread they dipped it in the container the dish and he handed it to Judas, who popped it in his mouth. Verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Because the devil entered him. Verse 27, as soon as he took that bread, the devil entered him. And Judas's fate at that point was sealed and the scriptures say and it was night I don't want your world to turn to night some of you are already in darkness I want you to come out of that darkness I want you to plead with me for Jesus to pray for you and to ask the father in your repentance and in your broken-heartedness before him. As you humble your heart before Jesus, I want you to ask Jesus 
if he would ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. Without the Holy Spirit, you are lost. He is not a pleasant add-on. He is a necessity for your life. Now in chapter 14 of John, he begins by, don't let your hearts be troubled. They're troubled because Jesus has said he's going away. He's leaving them. The floor is dropping out from under them. The foundation is being broken. The one they have looked to for three years for guidance and for direction, for comfort, for the words of truth. He's saying, I'm going to leave you. There are a number of places in these chapters that I'm sharing with you where Jesus is talking about going and coming. The first going is he is going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And when he comes up out of that tomb, the world will be rejoicing that he is dead. But oh, they will rejoice. There is another going, and that is when he goes back to the Father and sits down at the right hand of the throne of God, a place of power and authority and judgment, and of coming again in the clouds of glory. Neither of these goings and comings are the one we're talking about today. We're talking about Jesus going back to heaven and coming in the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now in chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And they say, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Verse 11, believe me when I say, that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, or at least the truth. At least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Is that your current experience? No, it is not mine. Why? Because I have not been baptized in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and I am crying out to God 
day after day. I am doing what it talks about doing in the 11th chapter of Luke. Knock, seek, and ask. And continue knocking, seeking, and asking. That's what I'm doing. And I'm inviting you to do the same thing with me because it is utterly essential that we be brought into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now in the 15th verse, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So here are the conditions for receiving the Holy Spirit. Number one, love Jesus with all of your heart. Don't love the world, the flesh, or the devil. Don't love anything in this world, but hate all darkness and sin. And secondly, obey what I command. Do what I tell you to do. And I will ask the Father. In other words, I will pray. And he will give you another counselor. I will pray and he will do what I ask him. He has absolute confidence. Ask and he will give you another counselor. Paraclete. In the Greek, paraclete. What's it mean? one who comes alongside of, who walks with, who encourages, friend, helper, one who comes and as as an attorney stands at our side as we face the powers of darkness. This counselor is to come and give us direction. I hear some people say in their misunderstanding that they have to be perfect, mature, before they can receive the Holy Spirit. That's a false understanding of Scripture. Nowhere is it taught in Scripture that you must go through years of painful toil and anguish and maturing and building righteousness before you can receive the Holy Spirit. If you do that, you don't need a helper. You don't need somebody to come and give you counsel. You don't need someone to come and make things work for you and encourage you to face the battle and deal with what has to be dealt with. No, it's interesting that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in the first part of Acts, not the end of Revelation. If it comes at the end of Revelation, we don't need him now. He will just be a wonderful dessert added on the end of our lives. No, no. No, I need sustenance. I need Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to us as Jesus. Now, it's very interesting, this word in the Greek, another We just have the one word, but in the Greek, There's two words, and this was written in Greek. One means he will give you another counselor, a different kind of counselor than I am. He will be different than me. But there is another Greek word, and this is the one used in the Greek text. He will give you another counselor, one just like me. In other words, this counselor is going to come and walk with you 
In the same way, Jesus would come and walk with you if you were a disciple of Jesus and for three years you had walked with him and he had directed your steps. That's what it's talking about. Now, if Jesus had remained, he wasn't going to send the counselor because he would be here. But he he could not be everywhere at once. But the counselor can, but he's just like Jesus. Listen, and I will ask the Father. I will pray, he's saying. And he will give you another counselor. He'll give you a person just like me. You won't be able to tell the difference between me and the counselor. To be with you forever. Now, this is not the time of the apostles and then he leaves. No, this is from now on out. Forever. It is by the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit that Jesus and the Father then come and make their abode with us and dwell in us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was outside of men. He would fall on them, but he was not in them. But in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit comes and is in us. In us. It's called the spirit of truth. Remember Jesus said, I am I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth. There's no illusion here. There's no game. It's all straight up. The only way you can have Jesus dwelling in you and you in Jesus is to be in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in you. Says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Well, how is he going to come? He's going to come by the Holy Spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. The only way that can happen is by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to baptize us in holiness. We do not become holy by our hard work. We do not become holy by being stoic and saying, okay, I'll make a go of it myself. No, we must be baptized in Holy Spirit, plunged into holiness. And then he gives us power. Power to do things 
like Jesus did, and even greater things. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Oh, it breaks my heart that that so many are struggling with such anguish to try to be Christians, struggling against the addiction of of drugs or food or shopping or sex or whatever the addiction is that, that drives you. That's not of God. Addictions are demonic. All addictions are demonic. If you're an alcoholic today and you've tried to pull away and you couldn't break it, you're addicted to it. There is a demonic presence operating in your life and you must soundly reject it in the name of Jesus and cry out to Jesus that he would send you the Holy Spirit and break the power of this darkness. And he will break it. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now I've given you a lot to think about. We're going to begin here tomorrow. I pray you'll read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. That's the route we're going to go, verse by verse, walking through these precious things that Jesus had to say. Look, if a friend were going to die, and you were invited, he's in prison, he's going to be executed tomorrow morning, and he invites you to come and spend the last evening with him, you're going to go and listen very carefully. That's what was happening. Jesus was going to be executed for something he didn't do. But now he's with his precious disciples and he's unfolding his heart to them. He knows the bottom's going to drop out of their life. He wants them to love each other, not scatter. And he wants them to pray. And Jesus said he would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Well, today is the last day of the month, and we are $1,500 short. Would you please send a check? Or would you please go online and give at nationalprayerchapel.com? I want to continue this study. I don't want to take a day or two days or three or four days to do fundraising. I will if I need to. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will move in your heart and that you will be very generous, that you will give hilariously. Some of you can only give $10. Others of you can give $5,000 or $10,000. This is for the work of the gospel. Will you give what you can give so we can stay on air? We are still $1,500 short. Would you send your check immediately, quickly, to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. This is a totally faith-based ministry. Jesus is the one who moves in the hearts of his people to give. Thank you for obeying that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Again, 
right to the National Prayer Chapel. Make your checkout, National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you're also welcome to come and worship with the prayer chapel. We are waiting on the Holy Spirit and we are growing in the Spirit. We are reading the Scriptures. We are fellowshipping. It is a sweet, sweet time. If you would like to be a part of a group waiting on the Holy Spirit for the baptism, would you call me? 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. And I'll give you directions for how to come. Let's pray. Almighty God, as I bring this edition of Pilgrim's Progress before you, I ask that you would quickly move with power to bless those who have listened, healing their wounds and teaching them what they must be and do to be baptized in the Holy Spirit that they could be used for the glorious work of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've listened to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. God bless you, my dear brother and sister. Before the presence of his glory with great joy Christ.